Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3. We took a, a break last Sunday from John 3, went Psalm 2, as we had a, an event before us last Tuesday. I hope that as the election went the way it did, that you were reminded of Psalm 2, and that you acknowledged the sovereign God who reigned over even an election, and that now we worship Him by trusting in Him as we go forward for these next terms. Why do we gather on Sunday mornings? What, what are we about when we do this? Um, we gather around God's Word. And I strive hard to lead us in being people that are about this Bible. I don't come giving you my opinions. I don't try to manipulate you with my pet peeves. You don't need that. You get that all week in the culture. You get that on TV, you get that in conversations at work. You don't need my opinion. And you don't need me up here manipulating you. You need me or someone. God's chosen me for the moment. <laughs> you need someone to perpetually be pulling this Bible out and opening it up and saying in all humility, thus saith the Lord. You need this. I need this. I need my study all week for this, and you need the 35 to 40 minutes that you get this every Sunday morning, week after week after week. And I stand before you, this is my 20th Sunday with you, and I ask you to hold me accountable every Sunday to hold forth from the Word of God and not from my opinions. So we open this Bible and we read it, and then we strive to interpret it, and then we really work hard, we really work hard to apply it. We've got to apply God's Word after we understand it to our lives so that we leave here changed. Maybe a little bit this Sunday, maybe a lot next Sunday, but we need to leave here changed all the more, tighter and closer to Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. So I take seriously the charge that Paul gave Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. Listen to this. Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. May God remove me from a preaching ministry if I ever give you silly myths, and if I ever soothe the itching ears of people that don't want the truth. And may God convict you if you ever desire to have your itching ears soothed with something other than the Word of God. Can we pledge together as a church that we're going to be about this? I pledge to you I'm going to give you this every time we gather. And will you pledge to me that you'll receive this so as, so as long as I'm faithful to this for as long as we meet together? This is a blessing <laughs> We can go to the world to get opinions, but we can come to God's Word to get truth.
So I don't seek to manipulate you. I preach the Bible, and then I let God do with you what he will. That's what we're about on Sunday mornings. So let's look at John 3, and let's see what God would have for us this morning, and let's see how you might leave here influenced by his Holy Spirit. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we'll read the first 10 verses for this morning. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Let's pray. Father, you say for us here that Jesus' words are, Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Born again. With language like that, Father, Jesus is either an uh, insane maniac or he's got some profound truth that we absolutely need to hear and embrace and we actually need to have happen in our lives. Father, we know that the latter is true. That Jesus Christ is your Son. That he was in the beginning and that he is God. So, Father, help us now to have ears to hear this truth and hearts to receive what he says here and embrace it once and for all, for all of eternity. Father, find me faithful to unpack these verses. Protect me from lazy preaching. And I pray, Father, that you'd protect these, your people, from lazy listening. And that they'd edge up to the edge of their seats and listen with expectation for what you would have for them this morning. And I ask this for your glory and for our benefit. Amen. So we have here yet another unique saying by Jesus. We'll look at one that he said two weeks ago as we look through John chapter 2. We have this man, Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee, and he's also called a ruler of the Jews. So let's define him for a moment so that we understand who Jesus is interacting with. He's a Pharisee in that he's a teacher of the law. He is an expert, an expert in the Old Testament. He knows the Old Testament backwards and forwards, has much of it memorized, and he knows all the key passages. And I dare say that Jesus knows the passages that are tight within Nicodemus's heart, and that's what he's going to use to explain to Nicodemus what he means by you must be born again. 
So he's a Pharisee, first of all. Second of all, we see in verse 1 that he's a ruler of the Jews. He's a member of this group called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is the legislative body that rules the Jewish nation, even though the Jewish nation is at the time subject to the Roman Empire. So he is a Pharisee, a knowledgeable scholar, but he's also a political leader in the Jewish nation. Let's look at what Nicodemus does and what he says, because what he does is just as important as what he says. It gives us insight into him. We see that he came to Jesus in verse 2 by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. And so he comes to Jesus just like the delegation that we saw over in chapter 1, verse 19, the delegation that came to John the Baptist. Look over there real quick. John 1.19 says, And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Well, Nicodemus, it's very likely, was one of the body that sent these priests and these Levites to John the Baptist to say, Who are you? But now we have one who is coming to Jesus on his own. He's not sending a delegation which I like, he's saying, I want to discover for myself who you are, Jesus. And when he comes, he acknowledges Jesus' authenticity. He says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Very, very good language. Like this, I acknowledge you are from God. God must be with you because no one can do these signs apart from God. So there's a mental assent here to who Jesus is by a Pharisee, by a member of the Sanhedrin. But he comes by night. He comes discreetly. And this is perhaps because he does not want to be seen going to Jesus. He wants this to be a clandestine encounter. One-on-one. No visibility. It's too much at risk. If I'm caught going to this Jesus and having a dialogue with him personally, I might be thought of wrongly. I might even lose my position within the nation. Listen to this. John 12, just, just listen. John 12, 42 through 43, Jesus says this. Or, I'm sorry, John writes this. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. Nicodemus is one of the authorities. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I say to you this morning, I I see Nicodemus right now curious, wanting to know more about Jesus, willing to risk a little by coming in the dark of night, But he is still fearful of man and what man might think of him, and he is clinging tightly to his position in the synagogue. I want to ask you this morning, as you evaluate your faith and your relationship with Jesus Christ, is there any ounce of that in you? Do you revere man and man's opinion about you more than God and God's relationship with you? You know, Isaiah 2.22 comes to mind. Isaiah says this, Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? 
It's a powerful verse. Do you look at man too highly? I'm telling you, he only has breath in his nostrils, which means that one day he won't. (laughs) That breath will leave those nostrils. But God lives forever. And Nicodemus here is coming out of fear of man, I think, in the dark. And Jesus is saying to him, in a way, in a moment, I'll show you, I know what's inside of you. And I'm going to respond not to what you're wanting. I'm going to tell you what deep down you need to hear. So we have here a ruler who John 12 speaks of that's fearful that they will be found out at this point in his life. Jesus said in Matthew 10, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not deny God before man. Take the gospel to man. The man that you're fearful of has breath in his nostrils and he's desperate for the truth of Jesus Christ because one day he won't breathe anymore and you need to be the one that God uses to give him the gospel. And so at the heart of Nicodemus' statement is really a question. He, he makes this statement, you are a man from God, God is with you, otherwise you couldn't do these things. But really Jesus knows that deep down inside there's a question here. And the question is, Who are you? Have you ever asked who is Jesus Christ? The answer to that question, and that question in and of itself, is the biggest question that you'll ever need the answer to. And Jesus knows that an investigation is upon him by Nicodemus. And we can't move on until we read exactly what John wrote in the verses right before chapter 3 what we ended two weeks ago with in our sermon before we did the Lord's Supper. Look at John 2, 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. You hear Nicodemus? See these signs you're doing, you must be of God to be able to do those. But Jesus, verse 24, on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus Christ knew what was in Nicodemus. And oh, are we about to see that for sure in the next few verses? Verse 3, Jesus answers this inquiry. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can it be that a man be born again when he is old. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? (laughs) Jesus doesn't address what Nicodemus says. Rather, he is addressing what Nicodemus was thinking, and he stuns Nicodemus with this statement of being born again. Stunning. Now, I'm going to tell you this morning that the term born again is so watered down in your mind, in your heart, that you're going, yeah, got to be born again. Yeah, that's, that's, that's called being a Christian, and let's move on. What's your big point? I want you to stop for a moment and picture Nicodemus, never heard anything like this in his life, being told by Jesus, an old man, an old Pharisee, an old member of the Sanhedrin, you must be born again. That's radical. In 2012, in the evangelical church, That's common. (laughs) 
We get used to language, biblical language. But I want you to stop and I want you to unpack the truth of being born again. And that's what the whole rest of this passage is about. Another way to understand this term, Jesus says you must be born from above. You must be born from above. And Nicodemus is shocked. Now, he doesn't take Jesus literally. When he says, do you really think that a man must be in his old age back into his mother's womb to be born again? He doesn't literally think Jesus means that. This harkens back to what we heard in John 2, 19 and 20, when Jesus utters the very first hard saying in the book of John. There's many hard sayings in the book of John, but the first one is, if you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up again. It's a hard saying. And what did the Pharisees say to him? Whoa, 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 Jesus. This took 46 years to build, and you'll just raise it up in three days? Here Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, whoa, 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 Jesus. I'm an old man. I can't go back into my mother and come out again. So there's these hard sayings over and over through the book of John. You want the hardest one? There's a bunch in there. Here's the hardest one. Look at John 6 real quick. John 6, starting in 53. Here's a hard saying. You don't hear this one every day on the street. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. (laughs) There's a hard saying. And Jesus does this over and over and over throughout the book of John. Doesn't mean it literally. You know, in the early church... That verse was wildly abused by the Roman Empire. They accused the early Christians of being cannibals. Because here's Jesus saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and the church was gathering and doing the Lord's Supper and remembering. And you can see documentation in human history of the church being persecuted to the point of death and being accused of cannibalism. Wow. You've got to be careful with these hard sayings because Jesus is speaking in ways that has profound depth and meaning. It's not a literal. It's a profound statement of a truth that can only be discerned with spiritual eyes, spiritual ears, and a soft heart. And so Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We read, I say this often as I preach, you read Scripture slowly. Don't burn through these passages. And you need to look for key words in every passage that you read. For me, a key word here, truly, truly, I say to you, unless, unless, and I've looked up in every translation that I know you guys have, and the word unless is in this verse. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless is a very exclusive word. Our kids just sang in this last song, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Except unless there's exclusivity in this gospel. There's not multiple ways to be right with God, to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
There is one way, and it is through new birth in Jesus Christ. There's a narrow way to get right with God. Matthew 7, 13, and 14, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who find it. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So we need to understand the exclusivity of the gospel and the certainty that we must, must be born again if we're going to enter the kingdom of God. And so now watch as Jesus unpacks what it means to be born again. I will tell you that I think he says born again equals being born of the Spirit. Look in verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, key word again, unless, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh and that which is born of the Spirit, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We've already heard this if you've been with us on the Sunday mornings as we go through John. Look over in John chapter 1. Jesus is referring to what John wrote in 1, 12 and 13. This is John speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke in, in Nicodemus in 3, 5. Here's what John says. But to all who did receive him, that is the word, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Hear the inference of being born again? Those that hear and believe become children. We become children when we're born. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, these children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. They were born of God. So they became children of God. They were born again. And they were born of God, not of the will of man, not of blood, and not of the will of the flesh. And here Jesus in 3.5 tells Nicodemus, a man must be born of water and the Spirit. And that which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. So we must be born again. We've seen this language already in the book of John. Now what does this mean? He must be born of the water and the Spirit. There are a number of interpretations that have been proposed over time. One is that there's two births here. One natural, the water is amniotic fluid. And the second one is a spiritual birth. Some see the born of water to mean baptism. And that that's why we have Christian baptism or that's why John the Baptist had a baptism before Jesus was revealed. Some see that this is a Jewish ceremonial washing that you need to be washed with water. And um, from all the research I've done, and I've read many men on, who have studied this over many centuries, here's what I think is the best explanation for what's going on here. You need to remember, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He knows who Nicodemus is, Pharisee, knows his Old Testament well. I want you to turn with me to Ezekiel 36. Over in the Old Testament right after Isaiah and Jeremiah. We've got to rightly assume that Jesus is going to speak in terms that Nicodemus should have some reference point to. Ezekiel 36, 
25 through 27, says this. This is God speaking through Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Water and spirit is going to wash these people from all their uncleannesses. And he's going to then instill in them the spirit so that they can then have a chance to walk in God's ways and statutes. I want you to keep your thumb there because we're going to come back to that verse in a little bit. So don't lose it. Jesus uh, goes on to say now, he's looking at Nicodemus's response and he says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So I have no doubt that Jesus saw Nicodemus's jaw dropping and laying on the ground in front of him. And he says, don't marvel at this. We need, to, we need to empathize for a moment with Nicodemus, and maybe we need to identify with Nicodemus. All of Nicodemus' religion, and all of his Pharisaic study, and discipline, and all the law-keeping that he's been about for all of his life, has just been rocked. Because what Jesus has said is, you don't need all that law. You don't need all those rules. Those are not going to save you. Those rules and all that law in the Old Testament is showing you that you are in a desperate way. And what you really need is you need to be born again. You need to have new birth. You need to be washed with water, and you need a new heart, and you need the Spirit indwelling in that heart. You don't need the law. And so Nicodemus' world is rocked. And the fact that he now sees that he has a need for new birth it makes it all the more obvious that he has been living in a wrong way. And Jesus says, hey, don't marvel at this. All that was to point you to the very need that you have for new life. And so what Nicodemus needs and what you and I need is not religious ritual. This baby dedication this morning was not a religious ritual that saves our kids. It's an acknowledgement that our children need Jesus Christ. Our children, born as they are, need to be born again. And we as parents need to be born again. And we as a congregation must be born again if we are to enter the kingdom of God. That's what's going on in this passage. No religious ritual can make us right. We don't get right with God by tithing. We don't get right with God by being baptized. We don't get right with God by singing when we come to church on Sunday morning. We don't get right with God by even taking the Lord's Supper. Because if we don't believe and if we've not been born again, Scripture says we're eating and drinking con condemnation upon ourselves. We must be born again. And so I'm going to stop for a moment and just ask you, do a quick check. Do you have any Nicodemus running through your system right now that you think that you're right with God through religious ritual, through acts of kindness about in the community? We need those, but those need to be evident of the fact that we've been born again and that we're a new creation in Christ. 
Those aren't ways that we earn our way into the kingdom of heaven. Your attendance here this morning does not get you points towards entering the kingdom of heaven. You must be here because you are born again and you have the Spirit living within you. So Jesus shocks him with this concept of new birth and says that you need to be born of water and the Spirit. And Jesus is not done shocking him with this truth because now he moves to an analogy that's going to further explain what he means. Look at verse 8, John 3. Jesus says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What does that mean? What are we going to do with that? If we're left to ourselves, we could run amok with that one. Jesus uses an analogy of the wind when talking about the Spirit. You know, we don't see the wind. Did you see all that wind yesterday? Where did it come from? What was its source? Where did it go to? Where did it end up at? Come on, let me hear. We have no clue. And Jesus says the work of the Holy Spirit is exactly like that wind. We feel it. We hear it. We see things set in motion by it. But we don't know its source, where it came from. We don't know where it ultimately ends up and stops. In fact, it doesn't stop. John here uses a play on words. Uh, In the Greek, the word for wind and spirit is the very same one. It's pneuma. So there's this play on words going on, and the spirit and the wind are one and the same. happens with the same word in Hebrew as well. And the point is that being born again is not something that you or I do. I'm going to unsettle you here next. Stay with me. This is not something that man can do in and of himself. You can't make yourself be born again. Jesus says that being born again means something was done to us. By God. Now I just want you to listen now. I'm going to read you four passages out of John. I want you to listen because this theme is throughout this book. John 6:44. Jesus says, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him." Hear the wind drawing and moving us to Jesus Christ? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one. How about John 6.65? Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And then parentheses, John says to us, For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And then picking up in 65, And he said, Jesus said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Does that rock your world this morning? Do you think that you just handled up on your business and said, I'm going to go get me some Jesus and I'm going to be right and enter the kingdom of God? Jesus is saying here, you can't do that. For you to come to God, it's because he called you and he drew you to him through his Son. 
No effort of man involved in this passage. John 15, 16. Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Any questions about that? You didn't choose me, Jesus said. I chose you. That's what he's saying to Nicodemus here about the wind. The wind comes and goes, and you don't know from where. You have nothing to do with being born again, with new life. Last one, I'll read you John 15, 19. Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Chosen language throughout the book of John. Chosen language throughout the Bible. This is also true about physical birth. This is not hard for you to understand what I'm about to tell you. We just dedicated four babies. I want you to tell me, what did Tanner Saxon do to be born? Uriah, Layla, Matthew, what did these babies do to be born physically? I want to hear it. <laughs> nothing. They didn't exist before it happened. They did nothing to be physically born. And you don't have a problem with that. But sometimes as people, when we hear this, we must be born again, and it's the Spirit that does it, and Jesus chose me, and God draws me, and no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. We want to rail up against that one and go, whoa, I don't know about that. No, God is a consistent God in that He created these babies. And we pray that one day He will draw them to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that the wind of the Holy Spirit will blow on these babies and they will profess Jesus as their Lord. That's what the baby dedication is all about. Father, we dedicate these children to You and we pledge to be faithful in their lives to put them in the way of the wind of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to give them the Bible. And we're going to give them the truth about Jesus Christ. And would you blow on them and draw them to you through Jesus Christ? And we're going to worship you, God, while we're part of that process with you. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. We're responsible to put these kids in the path of the gospel. But God is sovereign on drawing them to Him or not. We need to look at the Bible with humility. We need to be willing to say... Father, if it's not for you, then we are not. Do you feel the pressure of that truth? It's unpacked clearly right here in John chapter 3. Here's a quick aside. Listen to Genesis 2.7. Genesis 2.7, God says through Moses, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So God breathed the wind, the spirit. He breathed life into the nostrils of man. John 20, 22. John 20, 22. Jesus, right before he's about to ascend into heaven. It says in 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
And Jesus is God. So God, when He first created man, breathed into His nostrils and He had life. And here Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit and they have new life. Do you see God's sovereignty in physical life and in spiritual life? And we just witnessed it here with a baby dedication. We've seen the front end and we're asking God to make the second half happen. That's our pledge together as a congregation. So, it is very possible that your response this morning can be like Nicodemus's, Because he says to him, how can these things be? One last time, let's go back to that Ezekiel 36 passage. Because I want you to read this now with a different set of glasses on. I want you to ask yourself the question as we read through this, who is the subject and what is the action the subject is taking? Okay? Sorry for the grammar, but who is the subject and what action is the subject taking? I, so this is God, there's the subject, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Not you will cleanse yourself. He doesn't say go take a bath. He says, I'm going to have to cleanse you. 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and I will cause you to walk in all my statutes. I, I, I. God is taking the action in all of this. He is doing this to His people that He has chosen. The whole of the Scripture shows us that salvation and being right with Him and entering into His kingdom is God's work, not man's. Nicodemus, why, why do I belabor this? Nicodemus is a man of the law. He's a Pharisee. And they do the law to be right with God. And Jesus says, uh-uh, you've got to be born again. And to be born again, you must be born of water and the Spirit. And by the way, the Spirit is like the wind, and it comes from places you don't know, and it's going where you don't know. And it does things that you have no control over. So we have a God that's really, really big, really, really sovereign. He gives physical life, and He gives spiritual life. And Nicodemus was greatly troubled and confused. And his whole religious system has been rocked. So let me make a point of application now. The truth of this new birth can be unsettling to some of us. I've had my moment of crisis in the past, years ago, when I startling, starting, startlingly realized, wow, this was done to me. This isn't something I went and got. I was given I was given a new heart and the ability to walk in God's statutes. And so this is unsettling, and I've got three reasons. There's probably many more, but here's three reasons why this can be unsettling to some of us this morning. Number one, it makes us realize that we truly exist, apart from God, in a hopeless condition. We are desperate for salvation. Before the new birth happens, we are spiritually dead. I'm going to show you some scripture about that in a minute. This is not my opinion. This is the Bible. We're spiritually dead. We are in a hopeless 
condition. Before we are born again, we are morally selfish and rebellious against the ways of God. Romans says, no one does good, no, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. I mean, that's bad news, right? If we stop there, that's the worst news you could ever hear. And so we are legally guilty before God, and we're under His wrath because we have violated His law. James says if you break even one piece of the law, you violated the whole thing. We are all guilty from the womb. From the womb. Instantly, we've inherited this. Number two, this is unsettling because we cannot cause the new birth to happen. I've already said that very clearly. Teaching about the new birth is unsettling because it refers to something that is done to us. And we want to go do things, don't we? We want to go grab life by the horns and make it work for us. But Jesus has just said, this is not something that you do. It is done by God. It's done to us. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. This is the Bible speaking here. It's God that brings about new birth. And any good thing that we do is a result of the new birth. Any good thing that we do is a result of the new birth. And it's not a cause of the new birth. We can't cause new birth to happen. We do good things because we have been born again. And this means that the new birth is taken out of our hands and it's not in our control. And so this fact that we can't cause us, this confronts us with our helplessness and our absolute dependence on someone, capital S, someone to move in our lives. Not a pastor, not an elder, not a deacon, not a parent. These babies need their parents, but they need their parents to be used by someone, capital S, to stir their spirits towards Jesus Christ. Number three, this is unsettling because it shows us the absolute freedom of God to do what He will, with whom He will, when He will. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. Everybody needs a heavy dose of Ephesians 2. We'll read 1 through 10. It's a big text loaded with meaning. Here's what Paul writes. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Circle that word dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul is so qualified to write this, because who was Paul? Paul says he was the chief among sinners. Went around killing Christians for their faith until he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He was one of these children of wrath and disobedience. He says, we 
were dead. We were dead. Verse 4, but God, and you need to circle but God in your Bible, and you need to come back to Ephesians 2 daily because this is true about you if you now believe in Jesus Christ and you are saved from your sin. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Do you hear Jesus' response to Nicodemus right here in Paul's writing? But God, even though we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We'll stop there. Let me condense that. Just listen to me. Let me condense that. And you were dead, but God, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I could could be up here all day and all night showing you over and over in the Bible that salvation is not something we go get. It is something that God blesses us with. He graces us with it, and He gives it when we don't deserve it. We get a heart transplant. We had a heart of flesh, of stone, and he gives us a heart of flesh that now receives the Spirit that can be penetrated with his word. We were blind, but now we see. We were lost. We didn't find our way out. No, he found us. Amazing grace. Saved a wretch like me. I couldn't have done it. That's what Jesus is saying here to Nicodemus. And that's what he's saying to us this morning. Are you here this morning thinking that you've done something in your own merit to gain salvation and entry into the kingdom of God? Jesus is saying, no, you didn't. God did it. If we're going to be born again, it will be decisively and ultimately because of an act of God. And apart from God, we are spiritually dead And we are by nature children of wrath. His decision to make us alive will not be a response to what we do as spiritual corpses. We're dead, remember? Dead people don't act in a way that God's going to respond to. He's got to give us life so that now our actions will reveal that He has breathed into our nostrils and into our hearts and we now can work good ways for Him. So good works is a reflection of being reborn. We do need good works. We need to do good things. But we can only do good things because we have been made good with new fleshly hearts that embrace the Spirit. Now, there are some in this room that aren't unsettled by this. Because I'm going to tell you, I've just given you the best news ever. We are desperate. (laughs) And in His grace... 
God gave us a heart transplant. That's good news. If God doesn't act like that, we never will have hope. And so I urge you this morning to embrace this truth if you've been born again and say, Father, thank you. Thank you for coming to me and breathing on me and moving me with the Holy Spirit and giving me new life. If that hasn't happened to you this morning, and I know there's someone in here that that's not happened to yet, it's not wrong for you to pray, Father, would you give me this? That's the beginning. If you're willing to even pray that, that's a sign that God's saying, hey, come here. That's how He works. It's not a work for you to pray. You're not even going to utter that prayer unless God puts that desire in your heart to say it. (laughs) So that's how it works. And so I plead with you this morning. You've heard the truth that you are in a desperate situation. You need new life. Would you go to God on your knees and say, would you breathe on me? Father, please, I want to be right. I want to enter the kingdom. I don't want to be a children or child of wrath. I want to be one of your children, born not of the flesh, not of blood, not of the will of man, but of you. I want that, Father. If that's inside of you right now, that's a sign that the Father is calling you and choosing you to be His child. Act on that. Don't let that evaporate and leave this room and leave it to something in the future. He's calling you now, perhaps. Act on it once and for all, decisively. And He will be faithful to say, you are my child if you say, I want you to be my Lord. So, we wrap up with this. Nicodemus says, how in the world can this be? (laughs) How can these things be? And maybe you might say the same thing. Jesus says to him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? That's verse 10 of John 3. You know the Bible so well. You've got all this head knowledge, but you don't get it. You must be born again, and that's an act of God through grace. You don't understand this. So Nicodemus serves as a clear example of the numbing effect of legalistic, ritualistic religion. We don't ever at this church want to be legalistic, ritualistic, religious people. We know we're going to be alive, vibrant, humble, honoring of God people that are on our knees asking Him to save our babies like He saved us. Asking Him to save our neighbors and those that we bring here. Asking Him to save our leaders of our nation, to convict them and save them while they serve in office. How great would that be? I don't know where you are on this political election, but we all want Barack Obama to be our president if he'll bow his knee to Jesus Christ, right? So let's pray. Father, would you blow on the White House? Would you blow through the legislature? Capitol Hill, all the way down the mall, so that what's in all those monuments will reflect what's in everybody's hearts. It's a work of God. It's not a work of ritualistic, legalistic religion that's dead from the heart down. So do you sense this to be true? Perhaps the wind is blowing and the Spirit is calling you to embrace Jesus Christ as Savior? this very morning. You know, Nicodemus, 
has problems in his encounter with Jesus here, but I see great hope in the life of Nicodemus through the rest of the book of John. I don't think Nicodemus was a believer at this moment, and I don't believe that he left immediately and understood. But boy, I see signs in the rest of John that Nicodemus had the Spirit blow on him, and he was born again. In John 7, he defends Jesus before the very Sanhedrin that he was a member of. And in John 19, he helps prepare Jesus' body for burial. That's an act of belief. That's an act that comes out of saying this was the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah who takes away the sin of the world. So sometime between this clandestine night meeting and the crucifixion of Jesus, the Spirit seems to have moved on Nicodemus and he was born again. Has the Spirit done such a work in you? And if not, is the Spirit moving you now? I pray that he is. Let's pray. Father, perhaps some of us have been jolted awake this morning with the reality that our salvation and our being right with you is not something that we have done. You had Paul tell us in Ephesians 2 that it's you who take dead people and you make them alive so that no man may boast before God. Father, if there's any ounce of us that is boasted in our salvation... Would you convict us of that, call us to repentance, and forgive us for that arrogance? Father, we need new birth. We understand that we are dead, that we are corpses, and that we need new life, new spiritual life that can only come from you. Would you use this morning to do that in someone's life? those that you're calling right now to profess you as Lord, would you move them in such a way that they have no option but to say, yes, I believe. And would you usher them into the kingdom of God? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.